I really hope after you guys have heard me talk about Green Mountain Dental Group and the free Sonicare that you can get when you schedule a cleaning x-ray exam that you've made the switch from that crappy $2 toothbrush that you got to run to King Supers in the middle of the night to get every couple months to an electric toothbrush. It's an absolute game changer, leads to obviously cleaner and healthier teeth and a cleaner and healthier life. So right now, if you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental Group, they will give you a free Sonicare toothbrush located only 50 minutes from downtown Denver. Remember, get a cleaning x-ray and exam at Green Mountain Dental Group, and they will give you a free Sonicare toothbrush today. What's going on, guys? Welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast, Monday edition of the show. Harrison Wind and Brendan vote here. Brendan, hope you had a good uh, daylight savings time. Was it everything you hoped and wished it would ever be? It was everything Adam hopes and wished it would be. I, we should have checked in with him to see what he did with his big day. Uh, mine was pretty good. I mostly just drove Lyft, so I don't think I made the most of it. You're with me on this take, right? That... Being as big of a fan of daylight savings time as Adam is is a completely washed take. It's a total weirdo take. It's such an Adam take. It's so specific. Like, it is dope that the sun is out again, but it's like, of course, Adam loves that day above all else. Yeah, it was all right. Uh, I had a good day. It's actually a little annoying because you got to change the clocks that don't change themselves. So I'm actually a little annoyed by daylight savings time, but... Anyways. Yeah, I never, ever change the microwave or the stove, and I rely on my electronics that switch on their own, so I always blow stuff on this day, and, like, I'm always, like, an hour off on, on very important responsibilities. Yeah. You know who was also off over the weekend were the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets yeah. fell in Cleveland Saturday night, 104 to 102. Denver is now 4-4 four and four out of the All-Star break. A lot to get into uh, on today's show. Uh, we'll go over the game, of course, take some questions at the end. Uh, first, though, I want to get to the half-court heave, a, a segment we're doing every Monday here on the show uh, where you guys submit your half-court heave, your bold predictions for the week. We give ours as well, and then we'll reconvene next Monday and see how accurate we were. Uh, my half-court heave from last week, it was a total air ball. Didn't even hit rim. I had that Michael Porter Jr. will score 20-plus points in a game. He Ugh. didn't even play 20 minutes in a game last week. <laughs> His high point total was 11. So uh, now I think I'm 1-1 one one on these half-court heaves. We have to the, – the best part was Adam bullied you because he didn't think that was a hot enough take. But as it turns out, not even close. We might have to ban Michael Porter Jr. from the half-court heave because we're going to – we have some legendary reverse jinxes already. Well, we, we, that's all we've gotten, I feel like, over the first two weeks of the half-court heave. It's so Just bad. one reverse jinx after another. And also, Adam tried to call me out for saying that MPJ scoring 20-plus points was not a hot take. Meanwhile, his half-court heave was that MPJ would set a new career high. His career high is 25. So, really, our takes weren't that different. Classic, Adam. Classic. Uh, I also 
got this really wrong. I had Jamal Murray shooting 42% or better. How about 26% from three-point range? Sorry. Uh, so not good at all. I'm 0 for 2. And I'm starting to hate this segment already. <laughs> all right. So this week we've got uh, – or, or do you want to read off some half-court heaves that we got Oh, yeah. There? We had a bunch. Um, Ringmaster Eric said, uh, Harrison will be interrupted during every live read. That did happen. Brendan and Adam combined for 10 in a vacuum. That probably happened. <laughs> Eric makes an inappropriate comment that everyone promises they will cut, but they don't. Eric, congratulations. <laughs> you nailed that. I'm sure that all three of those things happened. Jokic Center had Jamal Murray getting a triple-double. <clears throat> Adrian had Steph returning and a higher three-point percentage than the Nuggets. Uh, turns out the Warriors didn't need Steph. Um, Monte Morris puts Flint, Michigan homie Miles Bridges on a poster. That was always a little hot. That did not happen <laughs> from Walt of Oz. Miroslav had Porter combining for 60 points this week. Wow. Shame. Shame, Miroslav. You should have known better. <laughs> David Katu had MPJ winning Western Conference Player of the Week. No. Uh, Ryan Konigsberg, Gary Harris will shoot over 50% from three. He nailed that one, though it's worth noting that that was like a low-key lukewarm take because he's been he's at like 58 percent from three now since the all-star break dude damn he's yeah he i think i know which direction i'm going with with my next heave um there are a lot of them uh aussie nugget had the nuggets filling their open roster spot damn wow that is um that's impressive wow that's a great half court heave right there we sat here on this very podcast and said it's highly unlikely they signed troy daniels couple of experts we are. Well, they did get a little relief when uh, the Pistons picked up Jordan McRae off waivers. Little, uh, right. little cap relief there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we forgot to account for that. Um, Plumley triple-double. Oof. <laughs> Nuggets going 3-0. and Jeremy Grant hitting seven threes in one game. He had seven points on Saturday. That's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all, we all missed this week, man. It was rough. <laughs> all right, so... Let's throw out some half-court heaves for this upcoming week. Uh, Denver hosts the Bucks minus Giannis Antetokounmpo. He will not play in this game on Monday, so a big break for Denver there. Then the Nuggets go to Dallas on Wednesday, the Spurs on Friday, and then visit the Lakers on Sunday. A really tough three-game road trip here in the middle of March, so Denver's schedule is not getting any easier my half court heave is going to be the Nuggets go three and one. I'll say All they right. go three and one, and I'll say the loss is to the Lakers on the road. So I have them beating the Bucks, beating Dallas, and beating the Spurs, rattling off a quick three game win streak after this uh, malaise that they're currently stuck in the March malaise. So I'll have Denver going three and one here. It would be super nuggets to just blow the Bucks out Wouldn't inexplicably it be? <laughs> and win three games in a row. I have Gary Harris picking up his first 30-piece of the season at some point this week. 30 points for Gary Harris. I like it. He has been on fire since the All-Star break, coming off a big game against the Cavs. 7-8 for the field, 18 points. I like it. Dude, and it's been on kind of like low volume creeping up you know nine points 12 points 15 18 i think we're gonna see a big gary game that features two halves of gary harris contributing on the offensive end he's got to be feeling himself 
like I said, 58% from three on two and a half attempts per game since the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. I sat here on this very podcast a couple weeks ago and said I had a feeling about a Gary feeling. Harris. A you feeling. and Adam laughed in my face. We did. We do that a lot. You mocked me. Podcast. You mocked me. <laughs> but here we are a couple weeks later. Gary Harris is playing his best basketball of the season. Crazy. Do you have any other feelings, Harrison? Uh, no, I don't. I actually Can't don't right now. Yeah, it's just I, I have like very little feel about this team currently. <laughs> How can anyone at this point? So, I feel sad when they lose. Yeah, it's been a tough post All Star break stretch. So, guys, send in your half court heaves on Twitter. Uh, reply to this tweet with them, and we will read them off on next week's show. Uh, unfortunately, this half court heave segment is turning into a little bit of a reverse jinx, uh, but I think we'll just keep it going for the fun of it. Hey, man, we never said it was like a layup. It's a half-court heave, all right? Yeah. It's going to be a lot of bricks. Yeah. Want to remind you guys, we are presented by Illegal Pete's, of course, home of the stir. Best burrito in Denver. Best burrito bowl in Denver. You want to know something that's underrated about Illegal Pete's, Brendan? The nachos. What's that, Harrison? The nachos. Oh. Ooh, very true. Underrated aspect. Underrated order at Illegal Pete's. My girlfriend's big on the nacho, so I know all about it. Well, You're right about yeah. that. High-key underrated. Yeah, we also have a great deal going on at Illegal Pete's right now for uh, DNVR members. Buy an entree, get a free drink, free margarita. It's like an amazing deal. Because I usually go there and I get a drink with my entree regardless. So free money, easy money. I'm going to Illegal Pete's. We tell you guys this all the time. You are pretty much losing money by not subscribing to DMVR. We're just giving you cool stuff constantly. The amount (laughs) – like this is how you can break it down. The amount of free things you can get, whether it's a Breck Brew – a margarita at Legal Pete's. These are things you guys are already buying. So in the long run, you're losing money if you're not a subscriber. So, Wow, that's smart. That's <laughs> math. That's science. Don't double check us. So check out Illegal Pete's if you're uh, in need of a quick bite. Let's get into this game. Uh, a tough one for Denver. Ugh. Nuggets fall 104-102 to Cavs. How this one kind of went, and then we'll get into some specifics, and then you know what went down over the last five minutes of the game, and then that last possession as well. Denver, I thought, got off to a great start in this one. Yep, They beat Cleveland 33-23 in the first quarter. I really like the pace Denver was playing at to open this game. They were getting up and down, and the Nuggets are playing at the second slowest pace in the league. But I, I definitely feel like when they up that pace in short spurts, good things come of it. And I thought they were playing at a great pace to open this one. They got a few open threes. Uh, So it's definitely seemed like they started this game off on the right foot, right? Yeah, I mean, guys were hitting their open shots, which is kind of a rarity, Um, especially on a night where Jokic wasn't necessarily doing a lot out of the gate. So that first quarter looked like they were ready to roll, like they were ready to play the right way. I think they were 7 of 12 from deep in the first quarter. So that it looked like we were going to see a 120-point kind of night from this offense. Mm Mm-hmm. Some weird things happened, I thought, Mm. in that first quarter. Jokic got whistled for two travels, I think, in the first quarter. Can't remember the last time somebody had gotten whistled for two travels in in a game. Then did you see what? Then the next possession after the second foul call, he took his dribble before moving, like really exaggerated right in the ref's face and stared him down. That was incredible. In hindsight, I should have known from that moment that Yoke was already checked out on that game. <laughs> also, we talk about Jokic's Euro fouls and frustration fouls a lot in this podcast. 
He took a Euro foul literally one minute into the game when Denver had everybody back on defense and, you know, the Cavs were just at their own free throw line. It, it was one of the right. worst Euro fouls I thought he ever took. Granted, he wasn't really in foul trouble this game, um, but still, uh, I no, thought that right. was a pretty terrible foul. I think there were early signs that Yoke wasn't – there are games where you can kind of tell – like, he's not going to let them lose this one. And then, obviously, with Jokic, we know the other side of that spectrum is he doesn't look too interested tonight. And in hindsight, you're right. There were a couple moments in that first quarter where it was kind of obvious that they weren't going to get his best effort. Yeah, despite those plays, I felt like Jokic played a pretty good defensive first half. There, there were some mistakes, but I thought he was really active, hedging pick and rolls on the perimeter. He looked like he was moving pretty well. I thought he had some really nice... Uh, defensive possessions at the rim, uh, just protecting the basket. And uh, on the offensive end, I felt like the Cavs really just tried to get the ball out of his hands. And, um, you know, he was making the right play like he always does. There is this thing, though, with Jokic, and this is even going back to the playoffs last year. And I don't even think it was a big like point, point of detail to talk about in this game, just kind of generally speaking. Teams are going to double him so much in the post, especially in the playoffs. That is the game plan against the Nuggets. I've been talking about this for a while now. He would be right in, and he would help himself out a little bit if he would make a quicker and more decisive post move right away instead of letting the double or triple come. Michael Malone has talked about this before, but, you know, he kind of waits for that double or triple a little too much sometimes and a little too often. If he was just to make a quicker move to the basket, I think that would help him out in the long run a little bit. Yeah, and you know, sometimes part of beating the double isn't just making the right pass. I mean, like you said, if he moves quicker, he can still find scoring opportunities and he just has to. I think especially as that game went on and it was clear, I mean, we'll talk about the progression of the game, I'm sure, but Denver got increasingly gun shy from 3. And that offense really stagnated. And look, that happens sometimes. And and but we've seen Jokic play through it. We've seen Jokic dominate through it. And so I just didn't think he looked too interested in in doing that in, um, on Saturday. So you know, like we've seen that dynamic is in play almost every time they play this season, mm-hmm. where teams are going to double Jokic. And, and so he just didn't look like he was. I don't know. He just didn't look like he was with it to me. Yeah, not his best showing, uh, that was for sure. But like I said, I thought he did some good things, particularly on the defensive end that really stood out. So the Cavs outscored the Nuggets 35-20 in the second quarter. I think it was a 10-2 Cavs run to close the second or or something close to that. And that was obviously a big point in the game. Uh, The game was tight from there. And then Denver and Cleveland 19-19 in the fourth quarter. What did you kind of see happen to the Nuggets' offense? You alluded to it a little bit, but what did you see happen to Denver's offense over the course of the second half and then obviously into the fourth quarter uh, when you know the Nuggets' offense really got bogged down? Yeah, I mean, they just stopped taking threes. They didn't, you know, in the second quarter, they stopped making them. They were 7 of 12 in the first, then 3 of 10 in the second, then just 1 of 5 in the third. Mm. And there were a lot of assisted field goals in the first half, not so much in the second. So the threes dried up, the ball movement dried up. And what, what was it? Didn't they go a couple minutes from like this without scoring at all? I'm not sure if I remember the exact time frame, but it really it almost completely shut down in the fourth. Yeah, I think it was late in 
the fourth quarter. The offense got really bogged down. And then um, from the, let's see here, from the 7.08 mark of the fourth quarter, which was a Michael Porter Jr. jump shot, it was Denver's uh, 92nd and 93rd points of the night. The Nuggets did not score again until the 224 mark of the fourth, a Murray three-pointer. So that's around five minutes uh, that Denver went without a field goal, without a free throw, without a basket. And and so, yeah, that the offense just kind of really stalled there. But um, the three-point shooting, I thought, was interesting for sure. And I think the point you brought up is true. This team doesn't take enough threes. And I tweeted this out earlier uh, tonight. I don't know if how many of our listeners have been following along the Miami Heat and what they've been doing this season, but they've got an undrafted rookie, Duncan Robinson, who went to Michigan, who has just emerged as one of the most lethal three-point snipers in the league. Over the last three games, the Nuggets have made 24 three-pointers. Duncan Robinson has made 24 three-pointers over his last three games as well. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's an incredible stat. Yeah, and I think he just set the record for most – made threes in a season uh, for a Miami Heat player. And, you know, we're here at the beginning of March still. So the Nuggets don't take enough threes. We know that. And, yeah, it was kind of troubling to see those threes die down over the course of the game. And then also it's almost been like whack-a-mole in so far as a couple of guys will have it going for a game or two or a sustained stretch. But maybe Gary Harris is struggling, right? And And then – Gary Harris is playing well now, but we haven't seen Jokic look great. In this game, the guards looked pretty good, Barton, Murray, and Harris. But Millsap, Grant, and Jokic had nothing. So it was just another one of those um, a little bit here, but, you know, taketh and giveth away things. Like, they can't put it all together right now. Mm -hmm. And it's a little frustrating. And they wasted um, a really good Gary Harris night, which is an exceedingly rare thing. So let's fast forward to kind of the remaining five minutes of this game. It was a really tight game in the fourth. And then, you know, let's start from around the five-minute mark. Denver is actually leading 93-92. Overall, I thought the offense over the final five minutes of the fourth was rough. But Denver still was able to generate some open looks. They knocked down a couple threes. Uh, Will Barton had a three. Gary Harris had a three from the corner. Uh, But, you know, not the greatest offense. There was that one possession that Denver really wishes it had back. Uh, Denver was down five with one minute left, and Paul Millsap missed a point-blank layup. Uh, That was an absolute killer. And then when it comes to Jokic's touches, I think he had probably about five touches total over the last few minutes of this game. He only had three field goal attempts in the last five minutes. Uh, One was a late shot clock Sombor shuffle three, and the other two... Uh, came via a post-up. He had a missed turnaround hook shot on Tristan Thompson. He got the offensive rebound, and he was blocked. Those were really the only field goals he had, uh, field goal attempts he had over the last five minutes of the game. And then the Cavs broadcast said uh, the first foul Jokic drew the entire night was with 5.30 left in the fourth. That was a mind-boggling statistic. Yeah, and that's kind of what I mean, reflective of a little bit of early resignation I thought from Jokic in terms of fighting through what was like a less than ideal state of affairs and then obviously the lack of Jokic touching the ball is a pretty neat and clean segue here into the final possession of regulation so Tristan Thompson misses two free throws 
I think there is 18 seconds left on the clock. Nuggets down two when Will Barton the third grabs the rebound. No timeout from Michael Malone. So we'll pause it there. What do you think of, of that decision? So I actually was fine with the decision to immediately let them play. But when Barton attacks the rim, dumps it off to Millsap, and then Millsap almost travels and turns it over trying to get yep. to Gary Harris – that's when the timeout should have been called. So I was fine with him initially letting them play, uh, but he definitely should have called a timeout once things kind of got chaotic. And I even think Malone said in his postgame presser that if he could have done it over again, he would have gone back and called a timeout. I think you nailed it. And I don't, I thought Barton's decision um, was suboptimal. Like I, I don't mind like a real time read and taking what's given you. I just thought there was enough time left on the clock to set something up to make sure Jokic touches it. So that would have been my preference. But like Barton didn't blow it. There was more than enough time for a second play for a timeout to get set and draw something up. So I'm with you. I think that was the error. Letting them run with it was fine. You get you get two chances though, and Yoke doesn't touch it either time. You know, that's I don't want to speak in like damning like newspaper beat writer terms but like that's inexcusable right that's unforgivable oh yeah you can say it Jokic should have had a shot attempt there or he should have had the ball in his hands uh, and the opportunity to make a decision on one of those two possessions absolutely and the thing about it is look Jamal Murray misses that fadeaway from 11 feet on the baseline the exact same spot on the floor where he made the game winner in Charlotte two nights earlier that's a shot he can make that's the shot he said before. Uh, going back on the replay, yeah, there is a little sliver, uh, a half second where Murray could have gotten the ball, I thought, to Jokic on the pick and roll. But at the same time, I don't think Jokic, and this kind of goes along with the point that you've been making, yeah. I don't think Jokic really really like showed himself enough yep. and, and like presented himself enough uh, to give Murray you know, the right angle to get him the ball there either. It's kind of like an easy thing to say in hindsight. Maybe this just fits my narrative or whatever, but it just looked like he wasn't too interested in winning the game. And so, yeah, I don't like definitely not on Murray at all to salvage something out of what was nothing at the time. And I guess like, yeah, I mean, can't blame the guys from from going away from a dude who was kind of invisible all night. But at the end of the day, part of Jokic's magic is he could give you eight, eight and eight, be really quiet all night and just hit that game winner for sure. So when you get two chances, he has to touch it. But I think Malone knows that. It sounds like he understands the the timeout mistake. So, um, you know, what are you going to do? You can, you can sit here and beat it to death over and over again. But they messed up. They, they, they made a mistake. Yeah. It's tough, though, just not having the ball in Jokic's hands there late. And look, um, you know, there's been a lot of late-game situations where Jamal Murray has taken that final shot. He's made a couple. Uh, he's missed a couple and I thought you know in a lot of these he's taken the right shot um this one in Cleveland it was a tough shot to take uh, but But he was open and he can hit that shot yeah and he just did the other night literally yeah he definitely can uh but I would have liked to see Jokic touch the ball there for sure what play would you be most comfortable with late game a Murray Jokic pick and roll which the Nuggets run most often I feel like or just like giving Jokic the ball in the mid post and just kind of letting him decide what to do with it. That one. <laughs> it might be recency bias, but it feels like some of his more recent game winners. 
Uh, like the one in Dallas, I, I don't even, he didn't even really make a move. He just no, backed him yeah. down three times and put it up. So part of me just feels like, hey, let's eliminate all the decision-making and all the variables between Jokic having the ball in his hands. So, yeah, I would take the second one. Yeah, I would have liked to see Jokic get an opportunity to shoot that one uh, for sure. But a tough one for Denver. Uh, they fall 104-102. Nuggets are now 42-21 and on the season. You wouldn't think it, but I believe Denver is tied for the fourth-best record in the league. <laughs> You wouldn't think it. <laughs> it feels like they lose every game. <laughs> well, they are 4-4 four and four since the All-Star break. And uh, I do want to talk about some trends that we're seeing with this team right now, uh, particularly on the defensive end and in the turnover department, too. Some uh, pretty jarring stats there. But we'll get to that in a second. The Strawberry Sky from Breck Brew. I tell you guys this all the time. I've never been a super, like, fruity beer guy. I've never been about... You know, the mangoes or the strawberry beers or the berries or whatever. But I can get behind the Strawberry Sky from Breck Brew. It's that good. It's light. It tastes great. Tons of flavor. Uh, Make sure to check it out if you haven't. Just at our recent watch party at Blake Street Tavern, we had a ton of people there. And I think we might have tapped the Strawberry Sky keg. I don't think they were ready for the amount of orders of Strawberry Sky they were going to get. But we might have tapped the keg. I asked for one at the bar, and she literally rolled her eyes at me. So I think you might be right. (laughs) Make sure to check out the Strawberry Sky from Breck Brew. Also, right now at Mile High Green Cross, first off, these guys have the lowest price in the state, and they have award-winning products. Heck of a combo there. And if you sign up for their loyalty program right now, you can receive 20% off of your entire purchase once per month. They're conveniently located right down here, 9th and Broadway downtown. They've got parking in the back. That's so valuable downtown. They also offer Hyper, so if you don't have any cash, that's fine. You can get in and out in just nine minutes. Right now, Mile High Green Cross, they always have $99 prepack ounces, V3 hash oil bulk deals. You can get five cartridges for $100. But they do really have the lowest prices around on their award-winning products. And if you sign up for their loyalty program, you'll receive 20% off of your entire purchase once per month. That offer also extends to current members. Back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast, presented by Illegal Pete's, home of the stir. Harrison Wind and Brendan vote here, Monday edition of the show. We have an announcement coming. Monday. Oh, do we have an announcement coming? It's weird because this is Monday's pod, and the announcement comes early Monday morning, but this pod will probably go out in a couple of hours at around midnight, so we can't we can't really blow it yet, can we? I don't think we can blow it now, but it's an awesome announcement. We're all really so excited awesome. about it. It's something we've been working on for a while. And yeah, some of you will be listening to this podcast. Before the announcement, some of you will be listening post-announcement. But, um, yeah, we're really excited about it. I think most of you guys will be, too. So, uh, really excited to unveil that Monday morning. Let's get back into this game, Brendan. Like I was saying, uh, there have been some disturbing trends about this team post-All-Star break. Uh, the Nuggets are 4-4 four and four since the All-Star break with losses to Golden State, Cleveland, the Clippers, and the OKC Thunder. The Nuggets now have the second worst defense since the All-Star break over those eight games. 
How about this, though? Since January 1st, the Nuggets had the 22nd ranked defense in the league. And I believe a similar drop-off happened last year, you know, after the first couple months of the season. Also, Denver is turning the ball over the second most in the league since the All-Star break as well. How did they get out of this kind of downward spiral? Well, one thing, man, I'm pretty sure in each of the last three seasons, the Nuggets have gone four and four out of the All-Star break. And I'm also sure that that preceded a, a nice healthy stretch to finish the season. So we know our buddy Matt Moore at the Action Network. He's been all over this. He's been pumping this out. There's no correlation between winning or losing during this specific stretch of schedule and how a team performs in the postseason. So I'm with you, Harrison, in that I am very worried. There are genuine concerns. But it's also like teams play uncharacteristically bad in March. And the Nuggets themselves have in early March in each of the last three seasons. So part of me is wondering, like, how much of this can we look at and evaluate in terms of trying to determine how they'll do in the postseason, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's a completely valid point. And I'm totally with the argument that what teams do in March has very little correlation to how good of a team they have been throughout the regular season and how good they will be in the playoffs. The problem is the Nuggets at 42 and 21 are a game up on the Jazz for the four seed. They are two and a half games up on the Thunder, who are the five seed. And then three games up on the Rockets, who also are in a downward spiral. Houston has lost four in a row. So uh, the fact that Denver is dropping all these games in March, I don't think it really like changes what I think about them it, come playoff time. Uh, just a side note, I don't think I've ever been lower on the Nuggets' playoff outlook than I am right now, like over yeah. the last two seasons. And that has some things to do just not kind of only with how they've been playing, but also with how it looks like this rotation is going to sort itself out. Sure. Um, but the fact that they're dropping these games and the West is as tight as it is, there's a real scenario out there you know, where they're in the 4-5. With, like, the Utah Jazz, honestly, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. But yeah. there is a slim or small possibility that they drop to the five. And they don't have home court advantage in the first round. That would be a disaster. That's genuinely concerning. I guess I'm just clinging to, like you said, like some of these other teams are struggling, particularly Houston, who seems to be like a very mercurial kind of experiment right now. Some nights they look like the best team in basketball. Other times, like, that trade was a disaster. So if we can use these last two seasons as kind of measuring sticks, the Nuggets are probably going to, to finish the season stronger than they look right now. So I'm with you. I am very concerned about them sliding out. But I'm not, I'm not panicking yet because they've done this before in early March. In fact, many basketball teams do. Yeah. Now, that said, man, that said, like, I think the Nuggets are going to hit their ceiling in the playoffs. I think we can all see it. To me, it's it's what I had at the start of the season, which is, to me, they look like they would probably lose in the second round. But I just can't stress enough that that's not something new that I've learned post the All-Star break because they lost to Cleveland and Golden State. Maybe this is semantics. Maybe it's an unnecessary, you know, splitting of hairs. But to me... I don't know. That, that that point is important somehow. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And in short, the reason that I'm pretty low on their playoff outlook right now is because they 
had a wild card they could play to totally change the dynamic of their offense, yep. totally change uh, their ceiling and make it really tough and just add an extra component that teams have to game plan for in MPJ. And with 19 games left in the season and how it seems like the rotation is going to sort itself out over the next couple of weeks, it does not seem like he's going to be a major part of the Nuggets game plan, uh, which is disappointing. But, you know, I, I don't know if it's totally surprising. So that's where no, I'm at. But it, but it locks them in, right? I think you and I felt pretty similarly all year. It's like a second round type kind of team with with this added sort of Western Conference Finals, maybe Finals ceiling, and that was represented by MPJ. But you're right. We're kind of at this point now where it looks like they're going to be the same team for the most part, and that's a team that's not ready to win a title, in my opinion. Yeah, or who knows? Maybe Jokic goes thermonuclear and Jamal Murray you know, makes the leap in the playoffs. Who knows? There's this, that's, there's this thing about this Nuggets team where they've just been waiting for the playoffs. Right. And I think... I think we're all right to be skeptical because they haven't proved anything yet. But, hey, man, maybe they have another gear. Maybe the playoffs start, they're motivated. And like you said, that that fire lights up in Jokic. And when you have one of the guys, there's no point in writing the team off on, you know before the playoffs start. Uh, yes, I am also just waiting for the playoffs to start. Oh, my God. If, if we are allowed in the arena to watch games. Yeah, if they even do the playoffs. TBD on that. <laughs> I'm just going to throw out some other observations to you about, about this game, just some stuff I have jotted down. I was really impressed with Colin Sexton in this game. Me too. And for uh, against a team of the Nuggets who has had trouble really for the last two, three seasons stopping point guards and really quick guards who can get into the lane and uh, <laughs> teams that penetrate really well, Sexton must have been licking his lips when he saw the Nuggets on the schedule because – Man, he killed Denver. Sexton just like he's going a hundred percent all the time, a hundred miles yeah. per hour. He, he is going a hundred miles per hour the whole time. He carved Denver's defense up. I yep. thought, um, yeah, I just he's, thought he got into the got into the lane whenever he wanted. He's a nightmare in transition because he's so quick. So even though Denver didn't really lose the turnover battle, they didn't do themselves a lot of favors in that game. They could have protected the ball. But you're right, he's the kind of guy that Jamal can't stay in front of. But even Gary, who spent a lot of time guarding him and did register five steals, at the end of the day, Sexton hit just one three on four makes, but he was 11 of 19 for 25 points. So he got into the paint at will, and he's been on a tear. That In my very brief Cleveland research I did before that game, Sexton is trending up, and there's a lot of... um, Kind of fun, I told you so, and finger-pointing going on in Cleveland. Yeah. They really like him now. Yeah. Uh, Tory Craig, 5,008 minutes. Yeah, that's not good. I put him in the principal's office because because that's pretty, uh, on its face, not good. Yeah, a couple of those were bad calls, but some of them were just poor decisions that we've seen Tory Craig make before, like fouling Chetty Osmond on a three. Uh, yeah, just a rough night from him. He was the first small forward in the game off the bench, but mm-hmm. he was a quick, I think, quick swap directly for MPJ after the early foul trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about MPJ's night uh, in a second as well. Uh, Jeremy Grant, we've talked about it all season, but he's got to be better on the defensive glass. He gave up an absolute killer of an offensive rebound to Larry Nance in this game. And, you know, it's not the first time this season something uh, like that has happened. He's just got to be better on the boards. 
a lot of people were clamoring for him to finish the game over Paul Millsap, and Millsap did not have a good game. But neither did Jeremy Grant. 21 minutes, just 7 points, 3 of 8 from the field. Three rebounds, like you said, got bullied when it mattered. So not not a great showing from any of the front court players, really. Uh, these Jamal Murray behind the back passes are ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he's done this for the last couple of years. Just whipping out these behind the back passes when they're totally not necessary. His favorite player is Steph Curry. We know about Steph Curry's fame behind the back pass that went out of bounds in the finals. I, I don't. I don't really get it. it it's uh, he's got to cut it out. It's ridiculous. He hit, that, he hit that first one, and I was like, "Oh, this is a this is a disaster." He's trying to make just, a behind the back pass through like heavy traffic in the paint, and he did it again. It's like you're, <laughs> not everybody is Nicole Jokic. It was weird. Jamal was close to a very good night: seventeen points, five rebounds, seven assists. But yeah, a couple really bad turnovers. Really struggled defensively, and I guess a lack of focus. Is the best way to describe what those passes reflect. Yeah, a lack of focus that was evident in a lot of different Nuggets stuff throughout the entire game. Like, how about the last possession of their first half? 30 seconds left. Will Barton dribbles it at half court for about 15 seconds. MPJ Uh, comes over and sets a screen. They get a switch, and Barton settles for a three over Tristan Thompson. And then somehow Tristan Thompson slips by Barton for an uncontested dunk with, like, two seconds left. That was, like, symbolic of the whole game. And and really, this whole night, Denver's transition defense was embarrassing. It was awful. It was terrible. Egregious mistakes. They were making... Keystone Cops-esque mistakes on the defensive end of the floor. I don't know if you caught this one possession, but Mason Plumlee throws down an alley-oop, and this is kind of parlaying into the Porter section of the podcast. The Nuggets are running back on defense. Porter is running side-by-side with Chetty Osman. They get across half court. Porter decides to leave Osman and go guard somebody else on the other side of the floor, leaving Chetty Osman wide open for a three. And he hits it. It was one of the worst defensive mistakes I've seen Porter make this year. And that's saying something. Yeah. And a lot of guys, Will Barton, the third had a really bad night on D. He was, I thought really good on offense, but it seemed like every time he scored a point, he forgot someone on the other end of the floor. He let, he missed Osman a couple of times, um, did not pick up a guy in transition D multiple times. So yeah, I, a lot of guys showed a lack of focus in this game for sure. Yeah. The transition D was just cringeworthy it was a joke i thought that is malone's nightmare dude mm-hmm. poor transition d against a team like cleveland yeah. gary harris had a nice night like we were talking about earlier three of three from beyond the arc seven of eight from the field 18 points uh, gary harris you mentioned he's shooting 50 percent from three since the break he's at 40 percent from three since february 1st Ooh, but I didn't realize that he's only 41 and a half percent overall from the field. So still not better on uh, the floater. And these are like on two, two and a half attempts per game. But look, man, baby steps. Shit. Saturday night. Those were like some medium steps. That was really encouraging. What do you think of MPJ's night as a whole? A Porter plays 16 minutes, one of three from three. Seven points, two rebounds. You mentioned he was the second backup small forward off the bench behind Torrey Craig. What would you guys kind of think of his night as a whole? It's funny. He was quiet, and I find him to be loud, whether he's playing well or not. 
You did mention that big defensive mistake, but usually I just notice that he's out there, whatever he's doing. And he kind of faded into the background of this game. Wasn't really put in a position to to swing the needle at all. Um, so, yeah, a, a miscue on defense. I don't know, man. I didn't think there was a lot to take away from it. What did you think? Yeah, like the rest of the Nuggets, I don't think he was good on defense at yeah. all. And um, it's... I mean, that's obviously the reason why he hasn't been playing consistently. Uh, I liked the minutes that he got with the starters, particularly in the first half. Like, Porter came in off the bench uh, in that second quarter with the second unit and then stayed on until, like, the four-minute mark. So eventually it was, I think, four starters with Porter in there for a good three, four minutes. Uh, So I thought that was pretty encouraging. But he just had some weird plays, I thought. Uh, he had that awkward 17-foot pull-up in transition, and he kind of, like, bobbled the ball and then decided to pull up and had Monte oh, Morris wide Monte open in the, in the corner. corner. Yeah, I feel like he just missed it. Like, he missed the window and just decided to settle for the jumper. That was weird. Yeah, I thought that was a weird one. He also just got pressured by Chetty Osman on the perimeter, picked up his dribble, Osman closed down on him, and then Porter just threw the ball out of bounds. Uh, I, th- I thought, you know, that that was obviously a rough play. I don't play. remember that one. I got it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, uh, he just picked up his dribble. Osman closed in on him, and he just, you know, threw the ball out of bounds, like across the court. That's so, great. Yeah. So not a great night for him. And, you know, I mean, what do you think Porter's role is going to be going forward? Do you think it's kind of going to be what it was here on Saturday where he and Torrey Craig are, are playing, and then, you know, maybe there are some nights when, Porter just doesn't play at all like we saw in Charlotte? I guess. I mean, it it looked like this was just going to be a Craig night, though. And then Craig didn't play well and got those early fouls. And I wonder, like, I'm wondering if that 15 next to MPJ's name, like, is that legit or is that a result of circumstance? I honestly don't know, man. I know that's not, like, a great podcast answer, but it every time it seems like we have a grasp on how he's going to be used, the next game seems to be different. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of how it's going to be for the rest of the season. And my take on why Porter really found that nice offensive rhythm before the injury prior to the All-Star break and why he struggled since, I feel like has been pretty consistent. We saw over the first half of the season when Porter was getting jerked around, when he was playing you know, in the first half and then maybe playing in the second half, maybe not, when his minutes were fluctuating, he really struggled to get into a rhythm. And part of that is Michael Malone's fault, not carving out uh, more steady minutes for him. Part of it's Porter's fault for just not being able to adapt. But that's tough for a rookie when you know he's getting yanked around like that. And we saw, like I said, over the first half of the season, when that was the situation, Porter really struggled. And the only time he was able to find a rhythm is when he was getting consistent playing time, was able to play through his mistakes, and was able to play with a much longer rope. And, you know, from what it seems like and what's happened over these last eight games after the All-Star break, he's not going to have that over these final 19 games. And therefore, I really don't think or don't think we should really expect much from him over these last 19 games, honestly. It's sad, but I'm with you. And if that's the case, then we can logically just kind of follow that thought through. Like you said earlier, it's hard to imagine he'll have a very big role in the playoffs at this point. Stravacraft Coffee is the rich CBD-infused coffee that you can purchase in K-Cups for your Keurig, purchase whole bean or ground. 
You can also try Strava Craft. This is honestly so cool. You can try it at a bunch of different cafes around Denver. Carbon Cafe and Bar, Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee, Blue Sparrow Coffee, and Max Market. All those places are stocked with Strava Craft coffee. And if you purchase online, you can get 20% off by using the code DNVR20. Strava Craft coffee has CBD, of of course, which is non-psychoactive, and it's been known to help cure long-term migraines, decrease anxiety, arthritis, and IBS. Remember, purchase online for 20% off using code DNVR20. All right, back here on the DMVR Nuggets podcast, Harrison Wind and Brendan Vogt here. We are presented, of course, by Legal Pete's, home uh, of uh, the uh, stir. Uh. Got the air horn going there. Home of the stir is really good. They got to put that on like a storefront or something. <laughs> that is pretty good, right? <laughs> Very impressed. All right, so uh, some final thoughts on this game, and then we'll get to some questions as well. I mean, the Nuggets schedule doesn't get any easier I just put this out on Twitter today, but here are their next seven games. Versus Milwaukee, at Dallas, at San Antonio, at the Lakers, versus the Clippers, at the Thunder, at Toronto. So I like it. I like it because the Nuggets can't be bothered and can't seem to find the motivation for these other games. And it's time now. It's time to – I know Jokic has a switch – but I feel like he might want to consider flipping it for the playoffs, too, because I think this team needs to see itself playing well, having fun, moving closer towards an identity when everyone's healthy. They don't get up for those low games. So maybe, dude, maybe this is what it takes. And the last couple of seasons, they closed the season strong. They're not in any real danger of missing the playoffs, of course, no danger at all. But does the home court thing kind of serve as their, like, as like a, a, a proxy for those motivators, right, that have worked for them in seasons past and can some really good competition light a fighter under their ass. So I'm going to choose to see a silver lining in this schedule. No, I'm with you. I, I think it's good too. And, um, you know, like, so they've got these seven games here. Six of them come against current playoff teams. You know, a bunch of these come against, uh, like, the top teams in the league, Milwaukee, the Clippers, the Lakers, Toronto. Uh, so a lot of scary matchups. Are, are you going to think anything different about this team in terms of their playoff potential if they were to go, I don't know, 5-2 and two over these next seven games or if they were to go 2-5? and five? Would that drastically change what you would think of this team in the playoffs? It would have, like, how did they win the games? You know, it, if we see games where Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic... Will Barton, Gary Harris play well at the same time? If we see games where Michael Porter Jr. makes a big contribution off the bench and the bench is up off the bench enjoying it, there are smiles, Yoke is laughing, I'm going to start to to allow that maybe there's a chance thought to creep back in. Mm-hmm. So it, it, they need to win the games, but I also need to see how did they win the games because it's it's more than their record now. Like, does this look like a team that's ready to challenge this narrative that they're soft, that they're not going to get it done? To me, so far the answer is no. But if I see that over the next five, six, seven, yeah, man, maybe, maybe. My thinking is, I think we know who this team is, and I'm not sure what happens over these next seven games is really going to change that. On some nights, this team looks like they can beat any team in the league. That that's really what what they've looked like for most of the season. 
And on other nights, they look like a first round out. And I'm just not under the belief that what happens over these next seven games is going to dramatically change, like, how I think they'll fare in the playoffs and ultimately how they will. I think it it would be good to get back on the right foot prior to the playoffs for sure. But, I mean, I just feel like we know who this team is. I agree with you, and and I, and I felt from the jump that they were going to lose in that second round. So I guess what I'm saying is, though, can they enter the playoffs with this, like, illusion of hope, right? Can they play well enough that allows you to do the, hey, man, they play the games, they don't do it on paper, so let's just see how it goes. Because right now I'm not even there. Like, right now I'm like, look, this team almost definitely loses. But maybe they can show us something over these next couple of weeks that suggests, like, all right – that one, that 2% chance thing we've talked about all year, I still have some hope in that. Probably not, man. Probably not. But but maybe. Yeah, look, this is a very, very good team. They have a player in Nikola Jokic who is obviously, you know, a top 8-10 player in the league. But I think really since November, he's been playing like an MVP, like one of the best players in the league if you just look at the last three, four months. And when you have a guy like that, sometimes you can ride that guy to the second round, to the conference finals, to the finals. And, you know, there is a scenario I can see where Jamal Murray really steps up, where Gary Harris continues this offensive resurgence and is a 40% three-point shooter in the playoffs, uh, where, you know, Will Barton is at his best form in the postseason, where Paul Millsap is just playing unbelievable help side defense and Jeremy Grant is switching out onto Chris Paul or Luka Doncic. I can see that world. You know, that's still a scenario that could happen, but um just these last couple of weeks have just not been super encouraging. So we'll see. Yep. Look, it's it's we know it's not likely. It's not likely. But the, I think as long as I think you kind of nailed it. As long as there's a player as talented as Jokic around, we'll wait and see. They play the games out for a reason, so. Let's get to some questions here. And, of course, DNVR members, we take your questions on every show. So if you have a question to take about something we said today or just a Nuggets take in general, hit up thednvr.com and click on this podcast. Scroll down to the bottom and leave your comment or question there. Let's start off with this one from the Hamburglar. When do we stop talking about Jamal Murray's youth and potential and just need to adjust his shot mix? When is he just who he is? I especially worry about his ball handling in the playoffs. The Clippers D embarrassed him. I mean, we're not there yet, but if we're in February, March of next year, and Jamal Murray's stat line looks like right now, it, it you know, a month ago, it looked about identical to last year's at that time. And so if you don't see that jump next year, I think it's time to start to wonder. But it's really easy to forget that he's only is it twenty two still? Um, yeah, Jamal Murray just turned twenty three, February twenty third. Twenty three, yeah. So look, I don't want to write him off yet, but another season without the big leap, and you do have to start to wonder. Maybe it's just not coming. Yeah, I've got to think that this is his final year of being, you know, a quote unquote young guy. Sure, I've got to think it's this year. His last year of his rookie contract, his fourth year in the league. Third year as Nuggets starting point guard. Uh, next year, I don't think he can use the excuse of being young. Not that he uses it. I don't think sure. we can use the excuse of right. him being a young, 
developing guy. I mean, it's going to be his fifth year next year, his fourth year as a starting point guard. He's going to be on a max deal. Usually uh, yeah. in year four, you start to get some real data. You start to get a sense of who this person is. So without a leap, I mean, I think it's a reasonable question to be wondering yeah. if, if this is just who he is. It's just kind of rough when he gets outplayed by Colin Sexton. Like, clearly outplayed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, this one comes from Jesse Hoke. Not a question. You guys are just the homies. Also, Monte reminds me of Chris Paul so much. He's a point guard. He's a point god. Sorry. He's a point guard. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, This one comes from N. Nozari. I obviously love MPJ, but I also think Tori can be a very valuable player. Is the ideal lineup having both of them to be a part of the nine-man rotation, which would leave Plumlee out of the picture? I think Plumlee plays great and he knows his role, but I think it was clear that when he was injured, the team played fine, if not better, with Grant at the five. I know Malone would never take Plumlee out, but I sadly think there is a clear ceiling with him on the second unit. So this is interesting because I've actually been talking about this quite a bit with people. I really do believe there is a version of the Nuggets rotation, a version of the Nuggets' best rotation possible that includes both MPJ and Torrey. I think Torrey is very valuable for his defense, for his rebounding, for his hustle. He's shooting the three ball better as of late, too. I think potentially the best version of Nuggets rotation does include both those guys. And the easiest path to that, right, would be to take Plumlee out, as described by this this questioner. Right, but the problem is Jeremy Grant is not a good enough rebounder, I think, to play like all of those backup five minutes. So then you're like, all right, can we play Millsap as the backup five? That worked with Mason Plumlee out. And so I think just if Jeremy Grant was a better rebounder, that would be more of a path forward. Forward? Right. Forward? Right. Forward? forward. And then the other thing is obviously, as as the questioner said as well, who asked that question? I'm sorry. That was N. Nozari. N. Nozari asked, like, can you, I just can't see Malone doing that. You know, which is obviously the biggest factor. What do you think? Is Plumlee going to be a big part of the playoff rotation? Well, last year he only played like 10 minutes a game in the playoffs. Mm. And that was as the third big. Now he's the fourth big. Uh, So I I think he plays like seven, eight minutes a game. Mm. Mm. This question comes from Chungawamba. One of nice. one of my favorite moments on the Altitude Nuggets broadcast is when Harrison gets a shout out from the TV crew. It always seems like the Altitude broadcast crew really loves Harrison. He's a lovable guy, which is why I'll it brings take, me so much joy when they name drop his Twitter. I'm going to take you guys behind the scenes. Chris Barlow came up to Harrison the other day and wanted to double check that he was crediting Harrison correctly. As a reporter, as a writer for DNVR, Marlo thinks about this stuff. It's premeditated, and why wouldn't he? Harrison Wind, elite Nuggets follow, I'll say it. <laughs> wow, thanks, man. You're welcome. Uh, but he goes on to write in, I'd love to hear about how you guys interact with the local and national media throughout the season. Um, National, we don't. Uh, locally, man, I, I love this environment, if I'm understanding the question correctly. Like, it's, I think it's like an everybody eats kind of thing um, where I'm coming to work and like a lot of the local media, 
I view them as peers, whether like they're competitors or not, or even more so friends. Um, and so we do all know each other. Like we all are in that press lounge. We're familiar with each other's takes and tendencies. And um, I think a lot of really good people comprise the Nuggets media. Yeah, we spend a lot of time together. The Nuggets local media contingent. And I'm talking about all the bloggers around the team to the guy, the to Nick and uh, Kendra Singer. at the Athletic oh, to yeah, Mike yeah. at the Post. We're around each other a lot. You know, every practice, every shoot around, every game. There's a lot of waiting that goes on in this business, <laughs> waiting, waiting for the Nuggets to get done with practice, waiting for them to get done with shoot around, waiting for you know guys in the locker room. And, yeah, we get to know each other a lot through that. So, yeah, we're all pretty close, I feel like. And then I really like interacting and working with the Altitude crew. Damn. A lot of really good people there, you know, from uh, Chris Marlin and Scott Hastings who are just kind of wealths of knowledge and, you know, basketball knowledge, especially Scott Hastings. And then, you know, Katie Wingy is great as well. Denver's lucky to have her. But, yeah, everybody has a really healthy working relationship, I think. Agreed. Uh, this last one comes from TC Great. Something I've been thinking about that's probably not backed by any quantitative data. Love questions that are prefaced by that. But it seems like the one guy whose presence in the lineup tends to lead to the most clunkiness and aesthetically unappealing basketball is Millsap. I completely understand his importance, the positive plus minus impact. Now he completely transforms our D. But it seems that a lot of the times when this team feels, he puts feels in quotes, off on offense looks or looks off is when Millsap comes back into the lineup. Do you think there's anything to that? I strongly disagree, but I've kind of always felt this way, and I've, I've burrowed into some really hardcore pro Millsap takes. Yeah. So maybe I'm maybe I'm biased. What do you think, Harrison? You know, I've been a, a starch uh, Millsap uh, proponent over yeah. uh, the last several years, of course. And, and look, we have a lot of data that suggests the Millsap Jokic combo is elite. Right now, I'm just looking at kind of the plus minus here. The Millsap Jokic combo is the fifth best plus minus combo you know out of just two man pairings on the nuggets roster and uh it was really good last year but you know i just will agree with the point that it has looked a little clunky at times with Millsap out there and you know i think Millsap his three point shooting has been better this season than it was last season but kind of the other parts of his offensive game i feel like he's lost a little bit of a step Oh, that's definitely the case. Yeah. He's definitely lost a step. I just don't know. There's like a re- – most recently when Millsap returned, he hasn't looked great and the team hasn't looked great since being shorthanded. So I just think there's a kind of recency bias thing here of like the last thing we've seen is Millsap throwing them out of their flow. But over the course of his his their, his their time there, like he's been a big part of of what makes them flow and what makes them play well and what makes them win. So when he's at his best, like I'm not worried about the fit at all personally. Yeah. The biggest drop off in Millsap's game this year, I mentioned how his three-point shooting has been crazy. Like he's shooting a career high 44% from 3, but from two-point range he shot 52% last season. He's down to 50%. That's so that's the biggest drop off right there and I think the eye test backs that up too. Sure. 
Well, I just not worried about it. I mean, I think what we're seeing right now is like if Millsap resigns, you come back next year and you definitely think long and hard about starting like the Iguodala phase of his career, you know, maybe a super six man type thing because he's he just as a matter of fact is an old basketball player and getting older every day. But I still believe um, in his fit and, and I still think this team can be great offensively with him in there. Thanks for the questions, guys. Again, DNVR members, go to dnvr.com, leave a question or comment on this podcast on the site. We'll get to it on Tuesday's show. You got anything else as we wrap up here, Brendan? The Bucks are in town Monday without Giannis. Should be a fun one at Pepsi Center. uh, If you're in the Austin, Texas area, check out the Haymaker. 8 o'clock, there's a pop-up watch party for that Bucks game. So if you're in Texas, listen to this. Try to get to Austin. Try to get to the Haymaker. Say hey to our boys. Love it. Definitely check that out if you are in the area. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow. Talk to you guys then. Before we get out of here, guys, I know it was really nice weather this weekend, but... In Colorado and Denver, you really never know when the snow is coming. It could be right around the corner. It hits you when you're least expecting it. And make sure to hit up Denver Rubber Company for anything that has to do with snow plows. They're your one-stop shop for snow plows. Their blades can be cut to any length and slotted to meet your exact specifications. Denver Rubber Company also custom makes it all. You can purchase products for yourself and, of course, buy bulk at a fantastic rate. They have the highest quality of products. From custom die-cut gaskets to molded rubber to custom contract manufacturing and custom hoses, be sure to call them today, especially for any snowplow needs. They are the company that literally has everything. Custom gaskets, hoses, etc. 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com backslash dnvr and tell them who sent you.